When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. While the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They replied, David's. He asked them, how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord? The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how then can he be his son? No one was able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared to question him anymore. Thanks, Isabella. Hi, everyone. I'm Neil. Add my welcome to Ross's. It's great to see you all here tonight. Uh, We're going to start tonight, and I'm going to uh, lead us in prayer uh, with the last words from the psalm that we just read from Psalm 19. So if you bow your heads, we'll pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last week, my wife was teaching scripture. And uh, if you know anything about scripture, you'll know that kids have got lots of questions. And last week, one of the kids in year three, I think it was, asked a very good question. Went like this. How do we know that the Bible isn't just one great big lie? Uh, My wife had to come back the week after and uh, give an answer. And uh, it was very good timing for tonight's talk. Because tonight's talk, the question we're answering is, why trust the Bible? How do we know that it's not just one great big lie? Uh, It's a great question to ask, isn't it? Because the Bible does make huge claims. Claims about God, claims about Jesus Christ, claims about eternity, claims about who we are and our life here in this world, and claims about itself. So far in this series, we've seen the claim that God reveals himself to us, primarily in the person of Jesus, whom we only know and meet in the words of the Bible. And uh, we've seen that Uh, The Bible uh, claims to be uh, the sword of the Spirit. That is, the way that God speaks to us today. As we read the words of the Bible, as we hear these words, we hear God speak. These are huge claims, aren't they? Not just intellectually, but very much so personally, as Ross uh, was talking about before. We, We trust this book with our lives as Christians. Our whole identity, our whole direction in life, uh, if we're Christians, is shaped by this book. This book is uh, not just words on a page or some textbook or ancient history for us. This uh, This is the very word of God that determines how we think, how we feel, what we value, what we prioritize, what we do and don't do, how we date. It tells us everything. 
we base our lives on the truth that this book is the very words of God for us. Why? Why do we trust that that is the case? How do we know that it isn't just one great big lie? Well, that's my task in this third in our series tonight, is to uh, try and give us good reasons to trust the Bible. So here's where we're heading tonight. First thing is, might surprise you, I actually want to say that we can't prove that the Bible is God's word. We might be able to have a good go by watching James Sneddon's seminar from last Tuesday night that what the uh, original authors wrote is now being preserved. It's the same thing that we're reading today. We can have a good go at proving something like that. But we can't prove that what they wrote is actually God's word. Uh, But we can trust that it is the case. And uh, I've been a bit sneaky because I've got six reasons, but I've put them into three because sermons always go in threes. Three good reasons, two better reasons, and one ultimate reason. Don't worry, we're going to move through them quickly. And then uh, we'll finish up with some implications for life. Guess how many there are? Three. You're right. So first up, an acknowledgement. We can't prove that the Bible is God's word. Not absolutely. Uh, I may be able to prove that the Bible fits with known history or that it's a brilliant piece of literature or that it's impacted many lives. And that would be true of, of the Bible, but also, you might say, of, of lots of books of great literature. Uh, we can't jump straight from the Bible is history to the Bible is the word of God. That's like saying, well, it's a bit like when I was a child, I got right into and enjoyed reading stories about Paddington Bear. And uh, he, if you know anything about Paddington Bear, he came from deepest, darkest Peru. And uh, he was sent over with that note around him, please look after this bear. And he was found on Paddington Station in London. And then he got up to all kinds of funny stories uh, in his life in London with the Brown family. And uh, the thing about this is, I can't say, well, I could say, well, you know, I know where Peru is, that's a real place. And I know where London is, that's a real place. And even there's a station, Paddington Station in London. Paddington must be real. There must be such a thing as a talking bear who came from Peru. And this is not fiction. It's for real because it matches with history and with real places. You see the jump in logic there? But I wonder if sometimes we can be guilty of that as Christians. The Bible matches with real history. Therefore, it is the word of God. I don't think we can make that jump. And we need to be careful not to uh, go further than we can. See, what we've got when we think about the Bible is a circle. How do we, why do we say that the Bible is the word of God? Because the Bible itself teaches that it's the word of God. You see the circle? That's, it's a circular argument. And uh, sometimes people have big problems with that. But I think I can say two things to help us with this circle. First, when you think about it, it can't be any other way. Because when we come to the Bible as God's word, the supreme authority over all people and all places and all knowledge and all truth, uh, if anything else is said to be the thing that determines whether it's true or not, then what really is the ultimate authority? Is it God or is it the other thing that said, yes, God is true? You see, if it's the church that says we believe the Bible because it's God's word, then our ultimate authority is the church. If it's my cleverness and human reason, by some logical deduction, I say that this is the word of God, well then, I'm the authority. But that's not how it is. 
if God, if this really is God's word, then it can only be God's word because God himself says that it is. Otherwise, something else is higher than God. Do you see that? Uh, John Calvin, a famous theologian back in the time of the Reformation in the 1500s, said this, God alone can properly bear witness to his own words. By definition, the Bible is self-authenticating. There has to be a circle, otherwise it's not God's word. But the second thing to say uh, in response to the reality of this circle is that although we can't prove 100% that the Bible is the word of God, we do have, given to us by God, very good reasons to trust that it is. When I say trust, when I'm talking about blind faith here, that we've got no reason at all, but we, tr- we just close our eyes and block our ears and we trust it just because uh, it will make us feel better. No, we've got good reasons to trust an intelligent trust. And so this is our second point. We can trust that the Bible is God's word. And to start with, I've got three good reasons. And uh, here's our circle again. The, word, the, the Bible is the word of God because the, it says that it's the word of God. And we've got the circle. But there are ways onto this circle. I've drawn them as tangents, a little geometry, a uh, bit of geometry tonight for you. Um, uh, here they, here's what they are. There's probably more. But the first one is history. I said the Bible, the history can't prove that the Bible is the word of God. But it's a very good starting point that can get people, can help us get onto the circle. Because the reality is that the Bible does match up with history. The more that historians look at the other records of the time and see that Pontius Pilate was a real person and Jesus was a real person and the impact that the early church made and they do archaeological discoveries, uh, historians generally say that the Bible is a very reliable historical document. The Bible is not Middle Earth. We're not reading the Lord of the Rings here. Or it's not Hogwarts and uh, the world around that. It's not a fantasy place. It is the real world that we live in. And this can be really helpful for people. There's lots of books being written about this, resources that you can pick up from our bookstore, a lot written by John Dixon, for example. And uh, he is a guy with a PhD in history, and uh, and he goes and he reads all of the uh, academic work from historians, and he says, there's no doubt that the Bible is history. And if you're not sure whether it's worth reading the Bible, uh, and this might help you, then I commend to you looking into it. Because uh, I've known people who've read books like that and said, yes, I'm willing to give it a go because I can see there's something worth reading here. And they get onto the circle. A second one is something more for me personally that I find uh, pretty compelling, and that is the internal consistency of the Bible. 66 books written by many different authors over 1,500 years, but all telling one story leading up to and culminating with Jesus and then uh, speaking about him in the New Testament. It's incredible how it all fits together. And lots and lots of predictions and foreshadowings and promises and prophecies that keep getting fulfilled along the way in wonderful ways that uh, you would have to say were just impossible that it all could be by chance. It's not 100%. Maybe someone could have been clever enough over 1,500 years to work out how to write something in a way that would fulfil prophecies from the past. 
risks possible. But for me, it is so wonderful that uh, it gives me great confidence when I have doubts. Have I been duped? Am I duping you by telling you the Bible is the way to base your life upon? I think back and I see the way that it fits together and I, every time I look at that, I'm blown away by just what, uh, what a wonderful uh, word that it is from God. The third one is that it makes sense of the world. Uh, the, world the Bible is not a fantasy world. It, it makes sense of what we are like. It tells us that we're all selfish and that's what we're like, isn't it? You don't have to teach a baby how to hog their toys. It's in them. You only have to teach them how to share their toys. We know that we're selfish, uh, and that's why we have conflict and why relationships can be hard and there's wars in the world. God's not out of control. It's not as though something that's happening that's catching him by surprise. The Bible tells us that that's what we should expect. Uh, It shows us and wrestles with the real issues that we wrestle with, with suffering. A lot of the Bible is about suffering. Uh, with meaning and purpose and who we are and why we're here. And it, it lines up with our yearnings for God, for love, for joy, for peace, for hope. The Bible is, uh, makes sense of the world that we live in. And so these three are good reasons to start looking at the Bible as the word of God. Even if they're not 100%, they're a great way to start. And uh, if you're someone who's not yet persuaded that this book is God's word, then I really commend thinking through these uh, issues as ways of getting onto the circle, but also for Christians to strengthen your confidence in God's word. But there are two more, even better reasons than those three tangential reasons. The first is that God is trustworthy. The trustworthiness of the Bible flows from the trustworthiness of God. Again, it's still circular because how do we know that God is trustworthy? Well, it's only by reading uh, of what he has said and done in the Bible and what he is like. But it all fits together. God is God. He's the God of truth. He cannot lie. As Ross pointed out in our first talk, there's no gap between God and the things that he says. Not like us, sometimes there's a gap, but God is completely honest and truthful and righteous. Uh, And his character is unchanging. He makes promises and he always does exactly what he says he's going to do in his own good time. And he's powerful to do that, to do what is good and what is right. That's why we we read in Psalm 19 that the word of God is is more precious than gold and much pure gold. And it's sweeter than honey that comes from the honeycomb. We can trust the Bible because God is trustworthy. In the end, that's why we trust anyone's words, isn't it? I want you to imagine that my wife writes me a love letter, even with a fountain pen. There you go. I don't think we've got a fountain pen in our house, but uh, just imagine that I found a letter written with a fountain pen left for me with a little note and a little chocolate or something like that. And uh, it's, it's at least purporting to be from my wife, Sandra. And she says, Dear Neil, and a lot of mushy stuff, lots of love from Sandra on it. Now, how do I know that I can trust that this is a real love letter from her? How do I know that it hasn't been forged? It's a fake that someone, one of you got it and put it there just to make me feel good about stuff. 
You could have done that. How do I know that she wasn't lying? That uh, she just knew that that's what she's supposed to do as, uh, as a loyal, faithful wife, and so she's just kind of made it up, but she doesn't really feel there's a gap between her words and that. How do I know that it's even her handwriting? Someone else might have done it. See, I can't prove to you 100% that those words come from Sandra, that they're her words, can I? But that doesn't mean I'm going to reject them uh, because I trust her. I know what her handwriting is like. I know what her character is like. I know the things that she says to me. I know the way that she acts, and I can see that the words that are written are consistent with her character that I know. Do you see, it's like that with the Bible. We, uh, only it's quite different because the Bible is God's authority over us, but the reason that we know it is God's word is because it comes from the trustworthy God that we know. When Jesus was talking about the, uh, the good shepherd, he said, I'm the good shepherd. And he said that uh, when he comes into the, the sheep pen, that he calls each of the sheep by name and they follow him. They won't follow a stranger, but they do follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. They know his voice. And so it is with this word. Christians believe that this is God's word because we know the voice of God, and we can trust him. The next reason to trust that uh, the Bible is God's word is because Jesus himself trusted the Bible. When you read through the gospel accounts, this is something I've really been struck by as I've prepared this. Again and again and again, we keep seeing how Jesus appeals to the Bible, how he believed the Bible, how he obeyed the Bible, how he knew the Bible, he loved the Bible, he quoted the Bible. For him, there was no separation be, be, between his, his love for God and his devotion to him and his uh, obedience and trust in the word of God, uh, in the Bible. Of course, for him, the Bible was the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't yet been written. But the words of the Bible were for Jesus the words of life. He said that uh, we do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You think if there was anyone in all of history who didn't need to study their Bible and you know, really know it and, and, uh, and use it and apply it to their life, it would have been Jesus. He was perfect, wasn't he? But the reason he was perfect is because he knew his Bible and he submitted himself to it completely. In our second Bible reading that we had from Matthew's Gospel, Uh, we saw Jesus kind of interacting with people. And uh, here's just one little bit of that. Uh, Jesus asked some people in this case, he was asking the question, how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord? Then he quotes from Psalm 110. Just think about what's going on here. Jesus sees that what David wrote when he wrote Psalm 110 was actually inspired by the Spirit. It was the word of David, he was the human author, but it was also the word of God who breathed out, that's what inspired means, remember? He breathed out these words in and through David as he wrote them. You see, Jesus understands the doctrine of scripture that we've been thinking about over the last few weeks. Actually, he doesn't just understand it, we got it from him. Uh, But uh, he, he believes that. 
And see what he says. He, he actually refers to not just the vibe of Psalm 110, but to one word, Lord. How could it be that David, uh, who was the king, uh, said, had referred to two different lords? It must be not only God, but a Messiah as well, Jesus. You see, Jesus' doctrine of scripture goes down to even every word that is spoken in the Old Testament. I could show you many places where we see this, but this is just one of them. And Jesus knew the Bible and quoted it when crunch time comes, like when he was tested by Satan. Remember that? He went out into the wilderness and Satan came to him and and tempted him severely to not go uh, God's way, but to, to follow Satan and go his own way. But Jesus said, no way, I'm going to trust in God. And three times he responds, how? By quoting scripture. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus based his life on the Bible. But even more than that, the Bible shaped his whole identity and his mission. Look what he says at the end of Luke's gospel. Uh, This is after he's been raised from the dead and he's got the disciples around him and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, this is what is written. Here is the plan of God revealed to us in the Old Testament. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Why did Jesus willingly and deliberately go to the cross to die? Because the Bible told him that that's what he was supposed to do. How could he trust God that when he was actually crucified that God would raise him again and bring in his kingdom? Because that was the plan of God that had been revealed in the scriptures. Why did he recruit the apostles and uh, commission them to go out into all nations, proclaiming repentance? Turn to Jesus, everybody, and you'll be forgiven. Come into his kingdom. Because that was the plan of God that had been revealed to him by the scriptures. You see, Jesus lived by the scriptures. That's why we can trust them, because he did. One more thing I want to say here, though. We've only been talking about the Old Testament so far. But Jesus also commissioned the New Testament. Not only did he confirm the Old Testament, but he set up the apostles and said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so you can remember everything I've told you. And as we read through the New Testament, we find that they shared the attitude of Jesus to the Bible, to the Old Testament. They keep on quoting it, don't they, to establish their points. And not only that, but they quote Jesus' words and they, uh, they announce uh, who Jesus was and what he was on about. Uh, Here's just one uh, verse that shows you how the apostles thought about what they were doing. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church in Thessalonica, and he says, We constantly thank God because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, when Paul went to the city and spoke the gospel to them, it was the word of God, not just the word of men. You welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. You see, Jesus confirmed the Old Testament as God's word and he commissioned the, the apostles to speak and write down God's word for us. That's the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus trusted the Bible. That's why we trust the Bible. So we've got three tangential reasons 
two better reasons, and lastly, uh, the ultimate reason why anyone, anywhere, trusts that the Bible is the word of God. It's because the Holy Spirit convinces us that it is the word of God. Now, it needs to be this way. Again, you might say, well, that's a bit subjective, isn't it? Uh, I'm just kind of sitting here and the Holy Spirit works in me and I suddenly see that the Bible's the word of God. But that's how it is. Because on our own, we would not regard, we would not recognise the voice of the shepherd who calls us. Because we are, in our hearts, rebellious against God. We don't want him to be in charge of our life. We don't want to listen to his word and put our faith in him and obey him. It's only when the Spirit of God works to soften our hearts, open our eyes, unstop our ears, that we recognise the Bible for what it is. God speaking to us. Here's a verse that uh, we looked at last week that Ross didn't preach on last week. Uh, it's okay. But uh, uh, this is a passage about the, um, the, how the Holy Spirit alone knows the thoughts of God. Only God knows his own thoughts, right? But he brings to us uh, the mind of God. And it says, Therefore the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it's evaluated spiritually. Here is, uh, here is how things are. We can't, by our own cleverness, understand God and know what he thinks. It's only when, by his grace, he works in us by his spirit to enable us to receive from him uh, what he says. In 2 Corinthians, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see the things that come from God. But when the Spirit is at work, the, uh, we are able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's what John Calvin said, same guy we heard from before. This is the rest of his quote. God alone can properly bear witness to his own words. Well, in so these words will not obtain full credit in the hearts of men until they are sealed by the inward testimony of the Spirit. Now, if you're a Christian, you already know this, I think. This has been our experience. Uh, before we're a Christian, we hear the word and we go, oh, yeah, that's interesting, or that's boring, or I don't know what that's about. But then it seems that suddenly the lights go on and we realise that this is God speaking to us. Jesus died for me. He's calling me to turn to him and be forgiven. This is what God says to me, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Two people come into church on a Sunday night. One person says, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. That's going to change my life. Where someone else says, what are you talking about? I, I don't know what he was talking about at all. That's all foolishness. I don't get it at all. That's because it's only by the Spirit of God convincing us that we actually receive and accept and trust that the Bible is God's word. And this is how God has set things up. God is not a theory that we prove, like in science. You can't put him under a microscope and push and prod and test and drop, drop some chemicals on and see what happens. We don't sit in judgment over God and test him to see whether he's real or not. 
He's more real than we are. He's the eternal God. He's the creator. We are the creatures. He is the one who reveals himself to us. And he's the personal God who speaks to us by his spirit through his word that he's caused to be written down and preserved for us today. We trust this book because God is trustworthy. We trust this book because Jesus trusted it. And we trust this book because the Holy Spirit has convinced us that it really is God's word. To wrap up, some implications for our life. First, the obvious one, trust the Bible like Jesus did. As Christians, we follow Jesus, don't we? We want to learn from him and learn to be like him. Well, if you want to be like Jesus, and I hope you do, then step one is to love the Bible and know the Bible and obey the Bible and trust the Bible like Jesus did. If you follow Jesus, you will work hard at that and you'll seek to line up your life in every way that you possibly can with what God says. You can't claim to be a follower of Jesus and keep your Bible shut. You're actually not following Jesus at that point, are you? If you know Jesus, then you will want to follow his way and line up your life with him. You'll want to let the word of God shape your understanding of yourself, your identity, who you are. It's not what the world says you are or what you feel that you are, but you will trust who God says that you are. How you live, the decisions you make, the priorities that you have in your life will be shaped by this Book, trust the Bible like Jesus did. It's a pretty clear implication. Second one, decide to know and trust the Bible before a crunch comes. Crunches will come in your life. What I mean by crunches is times when our faith that the Bible is the word of God will come under, uh, under stress. Many of us have experienced many crunches already. Others of us, in fact all of us, there are still more crunches to come. They're going to come. And I want to suggest that at the time when a crunch comes, when you're going through really bad suffering, a really hard time of some kind, or perhaps when you're really tempted to to not go God's way, but to go the way of the world or the way that your own sinful desires or what Satan is tempting you towards... That's a crunch time, isn't it? When you're really feeling like, I want to go this way. But you know that that's not what God says. That's a crunch in my language. And it's really hard when you're going through, and at that point, when you're going through all that turmoil, or when you're in the midst of a really hard time, it's really hard at that point to think through in a clear and objective way, do I trust that the Bible is God's word and I'm going to rely on it, whatever happens? Far better to decide beforehand in the cool light of day, yes, the Bible is the word of God and whatever happens in the future, when the crunch comes, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready for that day and I'm going to hold fast to this word. I'm going to hold fast to God. I'm going to follow Jesus, whatever happens. Do you see? Decide to know and trust the Bible before the crunch comes. And lastly, trust the Holy Spirit to work through the Bible to convince you 
and others. Sometimes we think that the way that we're going to be persuaded that the Bible is true is by closing it up, putting it on the shelf and reading some other book. Or that we'll help someone else to be persuaded that it's true by answering all their intellectual questions about why God allows suffering or why their Bible matches with history or how it matches up with the world, or whatever it might be. Great questions to answer. Some people need to have those questions answered to get onto the circle. But in the end, the most powerful thing that we can do for ourselves or for others is to bring them to the Bible. Because this is the powerful sword of the Spirit by which God speaks to us today. You've got a friend at school or at work, or someone in your family, your child, your parent... And you want them to, uh, to come to trust this book and know Jesus and be saved like you are? The very best and most powerful thing you can do with them is to bring them to the Bible. Why don't you read the Bible with me? Or why don't you listen to this talk? Why don't you read this app? And it's as we hear the word of God that the spirit of God works through his word and does his work in people's lives. Apologetics is really helpful, but it's not the powerful word of God. We need to trust the Holy Spirit to work through the Bible to convince you and others. And I think this is very applicable to kids' ministry and youth ministry and growth groups and to all of our church life. This is why the Bible has to be at the centre of what we do. This is why we arrange everything around hearing God's word. Because it's God's word that's the power to bring salvation. Faith comes by hearing this word. To finish up, here's a quote from another old guy, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was around in the 1800s in London, a Baptist minister. And uh, this is what he said. The word of God is like a lion. A lion. You don't have to defend a lion. As if it needs defending. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. That's what we need to do with the word of God. We don't need to defend it. We just need to let it loose and the spirit will do his work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank you that you've given us so many good reasons to trust it. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us in the dark about who you are and what pleases you, but that you have spoken, that you have caused it to be written down and that you have preserved it for us so that even today we can hear your voice. Lord, help us, each one of us, to trust that this, these words are indeed your words. Lord, where else have we to go when you alone have the words of eternal life? Amen.